You're listening to Spice Radio, 12 to AM's The Morning Buzz with Munkiran and Natasha. And we are now speaking to Charlie Smith, the editor of the Georgia Strait. Charlie, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing well, thanks. And Karen and Natasha, I hope both of you are okay. Good morning. Yes, we're more than fine with the long weekend blooming. <laughs> exactly. Nothing but excitement yeah. over here, Charlie. Uh, and one thing we do want to touch on, because yesterday here at Spice Radio, we had a telethon raising funds for those who have been impacted by the flood in Pakistan. And it has become one of the biggest news stories of the week, just the fact that so many people have been impacted by this. And I want to ask you, Charlie, I mean, seeing this really devastating event, I mean, what does it say, you know, the world world's role, like Canada, for instance, what do we do to support countries like Pakistan when they are going through a crisis like this? Yeah, it is. It's like one third of the country is underwater. And one of the problems was the early heat waves, like there was just sweltering temperatures in April and May. And what that does, and one day in May, it reached 51 degrees centigrade or Celsius. And, and these are not normal heat waves. They're like the hottest place on earth at that point and what what that does is when the atmosphere warms it can hold more water and then uh, like for every one degree increase in the average global temperature the capacity for the atmosphere to hold water increases by seven percent so this is a factor in the flooding um what's happening like i think we need more international coordination because we're seeing more of these events as the concentration of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere continues to increase. I think the UN you know, Refugee Agency, um, uh, that's the UN High Commission for Refugees, is, is doing great work and they're seeking donations. And I think different governments will step forward kind of in an ad hoc basis when these events happen, but it would be nice to see something more systematic where um, governments can respond and, and and not just kind of, you know, oh, we need money now. Like, like we know these things are going to happen, whether it's uh, with the hurricanes. And it's particularly uh, the heat waves are what kill people and kill a lot of people. Um, and, and that's obviously very serious. But where the... Um, the costs and the property damage are the greatest is water events. And that's what we saw in British Columbia last year, where it was the flooding in Abbotsford and in Princeton and in Merritt that was just colossally expensive. And then we also had the heat wave, which was utterly devastating for the people affected earlier in the year. So we had that view of the two sides of, of the climate crisis. And I think right now with these flood emergencies. Um, and the other thing I worry about, too, is what's happening with the monsoon in South Asia. Um, and, and, and we really need to have a coordinated response because sooner or later we're going to see a lot of refugees. We're already seeing some from Bangladesh as sea levels rise uh, and flooding taking place there. Moving into India in substantial numbers, but but that could only increase. And, and Pakistan is also right at the, you know, front edge, um, because because we've seen what's happened. And then there's there's the melting of the glaciers as well. Like the Himalayas are providing water for two billion people in the world when you include China, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and and uh, 
other countries as well. So with the warming uh, affecting the, the glaciers, um, and then that can bring the heavy runoff. We've seen it on a smaller scale in British Columbia. We just know it's going to carry on, which is really sad. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. And I heard actually a lot of experts this week when they were talking about the situation in Pakistan, they were saying that we need to set up some sort of a global fund, something where, you know, there's this expectation, okay, we're all going to contribute to this and we all have to help one another out. I think the part for me that was very troubling too is that Pakistan doesn't barely admits any greenhouse gas emissions in comparison to the rest of the world or like North America here, yet they're the ones that are going to be hit the hardest by climate change. And to me, I think that's just so mind-blowing how our greed is hurting these other countries. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a direct line. And one person you might want to get on your show, actually, she's running for uh, city council in Vancouver with the Greens, is Diviani Singh who's run provincially, too. Um, she, she's actually from the Himalayas, um, and she was uh, from Uttarakhand, if I'm pronouncing it right, Uttarakhand, but maybe Nat- Natasha could correct me on Uttarakhand. that. Uttarakhand. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Uttarakhand, yeah. Yeah, it's a small northern Indian yeah. state, kind of called the land of the gods, and it borders Tibet and Nepal. And, and she grew up observing, like she lived right on the edge of the glaciers, and now she's... She's a scholar of, of the climate um, and has a Ph.D. in energy and climate policy and uh, is, is very knowledgeable about the impact of what's happening with the glaciers and the climate on that part of the world, too. So, No, definitely someone to keep our eye on there, Charlie. Thank you and so much. And she's a great talker. She's a better speaker than me. <laughs> Charlie, you're not bad. You're good as well. But we'll definitely have to get her on our show to talk more about the situation because it is a conversation we need to continue happening. Now, of course, school is making a return next week, and there's a piece called Education by the Numbers, looking at the number of enrollments, schools specifically, private and public. What are some of the numbers around the lower mainland here? Yeah, I thought it would be fun to post this just with the, the return to school. And uh, in the last school year, there were 1,583 public schools, 371 independent schools. Generally speaking, the independent schools are smaller than the public schools, but, you know, for every five public schools, there's one independent school. Um, There were, it's expected there will be almost 573,000 full-time equivalent students in K-12 public schools this September, so that's 573,000, compared to 89,000 independent school students. So we have a substantial number of students going to K-12 independent schools. Um, And the other thing which is interesting, there are about 74,000 Indigenous students in the province, um, 82,786 students with special needs, uh, which is significant increase from the previous year by almost 5,000. You've got 69,475 English language learning students. Um, You've got 6,400 students in the Francophone School District. So I'm just giving you all these numbers here, but you get a a sense that this BC public school system is a pretty large beast. Um, You know, it's the size... It's the population in the public schools it exceeds that of Surrey, 
and oh. and we know Surrey is a big city, so so you could say the public schools are the second largest city in, in the province. Pretty wow. much. Wow. Yeah. That's something I didn't even know. And I was just thinking, uh, Charlie, I mean, does did inflation or, you know, just the pandemic uh, influence parents as to where their children are going to go to school? Because when we talk about independent schools, they're pretty expensive as well. Yeah, they are very expensive. And the other issue, too, is uh, I'm not sure the answer to that question, Natasha, but there was an increase in homeschooling. Uh, there were a fair number of parents who had either immune-compromised people in their own home or the students themselves. So uh, there was there was a reduction in in students where some of the parents wanted uh, more dramatic action in terms of universal masking or maybe more efforts um, to clean the air in schools, and they didn't feel entirely comfortable sending their kids. Um, this year, we're coming back to school. The province is, is talking about its investments in uh, clean air in the schools. It, it's not satisfying the critics, um, even though quite a bit of money has been spent. And part of the reason is uh, there are inexpensive ways to make the air clean. And one of them is uh, in classrooms. They've done it on a large scale in Ontario. You can also use carbon dioxide monitors, and they measure the concentration of carbon dioxide in the air, and Quebec has done this in a large way, but we haven't in BC, because carbon dioxide is a proxy for the amount of virus concentration in the air. So I think groups like Safe Schools Coalition would like to see more done uh, by the province to clean the air in classrooms and reduce the spread of COVID-19. Has there been any clarity on the mask mandate? I know that some universities have made it a mandate and then there are some who have said, you know, you can just Yeah, right not now wear a mask. It's UBC ended its mask mandate, I think it was June 30th uh, or July 30th. It was shortly before Santa Ono got his new job at the University of Michigan, the president of UBC. Um, so the, the mask mandate, the province has not reinstated a province-wide mask mandate um, uh, for this year. It lifted it in, in March, and then for schools it was after spring break. So, um, but employers can impose mask mandates, and school boards are employers. Uh, BC Ferries is an employer, TransLink is an employer. And each institution, post-secondary institution, is an employer. And um, they're not uh, doing that. And that's created some controversy. Uh, but I think it's um, that for now, at least, it doesn't appear that there are going to be mask mandates. I'm not sure about the University of Victoria. I can look that one up. Because uh, I know SFU did not do it. And the colleges in the Lower Mainland did not do it. But UBC did, and then UBC lifted it, its mask mandate. Um, yeah, and at UVic, they have masks strongly encouraged, but not mandatory indoors. Mm-hmm. It's kind of mixed up there, so it's constantly changing these mask mandates. And I definitely think it's going to be something that is an ongoing conversation. Now, Charlie, Labor Day long weekend is coming up. What are some events that people can check out? Well, there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's, there's the uh, Latin American... Um, film festival 
in Vancouver, and this is a big, big film festival for people who are interested in Latin America. You've got the Taiwan Fest in downtown Vancouver, and all events are free, and it's in the, mostly in the 600 and 700 block of Granville Street, and also uh, on the north side of the Vancouver Art Gallery. Um, you've got Flamenco Festival, Vancouver International Flamenco Festival is having free events on Granville Island, and that's a precursor on this weekend, on the 3rd and 4th. Uh, their big events are a little later in the month. And then it's Labor Day, and there are different Labor Day events around the region. Uh, one of the, the Burnaby uh, Museum is one place that always has quite the Labor Day event. But if you Google Labor Day Metro Vancouver, you'll see events at various locations. Charlie, thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. You have a wonderful weekend. You too. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Happy Labor Day. Thanks. Bye. You too.